Welcome to the Dual Citizen Podcast. This summer, we are discussing the role of civic responsibility in our lives. Um, it's a vague term and something that seems probably boring from our civics classes, but as college students, um, it can feel like something that's reserved maybe for later in life, for older adults, specifically those who really care about politics or are serving in the public square, like public office. We have heard some incredibly inspiring stories this summer for veterans and those currently serving in the armed forces civic responsibility might look like service and traveling the world like doug wilson does for ben and melissa sass and their family civic responsibility involves a lot of sacrifice these stories inspire us and help us understand why civic responsibility is important but now let's take it back to the position that most of us find ourselves in we aren't lieutenant colonels in the Air Force, and we aren't senators. We are normal people going to school, doing internships, working jobs, maybe living in small towns. How then do we engage? This summer, my good friend Renee Jones and I thought about how we can make civic responsibility part of our lives in this season. The idea we had was to learn all we could about something we didn't know much about, and we decided to focus on Israel and Palestine's relationship. What came of this idea was Open Table with the Dual Citizen podcast, and I have learned so much from the people who decided to join this group this summer. Today, we're opening up our conversation to you. Let's dive into why awareness of what is happening around the world is a good way to be a faithful dual citizen. So tonight, I am joined by one, two, three, four, five, six friends. I'm so excited. Um, we have kind of a hodgepodge group here tonight, but everyone, if we could just go around and give your name and where you're going to school and what you're studying, that would help our audience get to know you. So let's start with Maylin. Hello, my name is Maylin Dye, and I'm going to Stanford University, and I'm studying biology. Okay, Libby. Hey everyone, I'm Libby Rao and I'm a senior at Stanford um, studying law, politics, and society. Hi, I'm Abuja. I am a senior at Biola University and I'm studying political science. My name is John Cody Pedifils. I'm a senior at Stanford University. I'm studying communications. Renee. Hello, my name is Renee Jones. I'll be a senior at the University of Georgia, and I'm studying international affairs in Spanish. Hi, my name is Jake Neer. Um, I'm a junior at Regent University, and I study business uh, and government. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for being here. So we are going to get into our open table topic, but starting from a broader point, of thinking about civic responsibility. I would love to hear from a couple of you who um, who either joined Open Table this summer or are, I know Jake is doing an internship on Capitol Hill. I just would love to know why is this concept of civic responsibility even a priority for you? So John Cody, start with telling us why 
why you wanted to jump in and learn more this summer. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so as a believer, um, I I see kind of two important components of civic responsibility. Um, one is um, as a believer, my my duty is to care for uh, believers around me and non-believers, and so. Um, to do that, I think it requires for me to be kind of aware of like all that's going on around me. Um, and so um, two like kind of biblical traits that I kind of see throughout Proverbs a lot is, is discernment and awareness. And so um, those kind of two traits, I think, are qualities that believers should walk out um, in. And so I think, um, you know, when we see those themes throughout scripture, it's it's pretty clear that we're called um, yeah, to be, uh, have discernment and have an awareness of what's going on in our country um, as a U.S. citizen for me spe- specifically. Um, and so that's kind of why I feel like um, it's important to, you know, to to take up my civic responsibility um, as a U.S. citizen um, and as a believer. Cool. Thank you so much. Well, Maylin, I know you've been part of the dual citizen for a while. Um, what you know, maybe prompted you to be part of that and what's maybe something that stuck out to you about the conversations we've already been having about civic responsibility this summer? Um, yeah, I I agree with a lot of what John Cody just said. I think understanding your civic responsibility and just being educated on what is happening in the world is a good way to not only be a good citizen, but also be a good steward of the resources that God's given you um, to love other people. Um, I really enjoyed episode 19 of this season, uh, the podcast on patriotism. I I do have a lot of respect for people who have served our country in the military, and I think hearing, um, I forgot, what was his name? Um, Doug Wilson, Lieutenant Colonel Doug Wilson, yeah. Um, I think Lieutenant Doug Wilson's perspective was really invaluable and inspiring and to an extent I feel like veterans viewpoints and experiences should shape kind of how we respond and also kind of urge us to be more aware about what's going on in the world and so I think dual citizen helps me um, helps me do that better and I think it's a great resource to help other college students um, respond better as well. Cool. Thank you. Appreciate that. And I, yeah, that's kind of a lot of why just, just curiosity and wanting to, wanting to grow in this area is really where this whole podcast and community came from. So, um, I'm glad you've had that experience. Um, how about Jake? I know you are in DC this summer. Jake recently wrote an article for the dual citizen. It's up on Anchored Passion now um, about his experience serving as an intern in the Capitol, which isn't the most glamorous job sometimes. So tell us a little bit about what civic responsibility is for you in your life. Yeah, and no, you're definitely correct. Um, sometimes it's not it's not the most fun, but thankfully I had a, I had a great office. Um, the, I think- I'm curious what's the like most not glamorous thing you've done like the the most random errand or something like that yeah um I haven't done anything too too crazy too random um 
it's okay. Let's see. I, one, I, one thing that I, that I can think of actually is our office ran out of snacks. And so the senator from North, the other senator from North Carolina, Richard Burr, um, his office pretty much has the same snacks as us. So they're like, hey, Jake, do you have anything that you're doing right now? And, um, you know, I didn't. So I was kind of like the snack guy for a half an hour, just transporting snacks from they're on the fourth floor. We're on the first floor. So I was going back and forth, just kind of bringing the snacks to our office, which is a huge part of working on the Capitol. You need snacks in your office. So and every state has like a unique snack. Like for us, it was peanuts. Um, and other states will have their own specialties. But so that was probably the most random thing that I did. A true patriot, a true civil servant. Thank you. I, I try. <laughs> An American man. Wow. Okay, that's awesome. Well, now to the now to the serious part. That's a, that was a great detour. Yeah. So I, I think that JC made a couple of great points about you know being a Christian and having that responsibility, and I I think that just kind of from my perspective, I think that we need more Christians involved in civics and politics. And just being someone that's a fan of history, looking, just looking at history, seeing who's made the most change in the world, a lot of times um, they were Christians. Um, when I think about you know, the movement to abolish slavery or free people from oppression, um, a, lot of the, a lot of the hard work was done by Christians. Um, and I see more and more Christians kind of separating themselves from civics and politics. And thankfully, I had a mentor who said, and, you know, at a young age, I, I kind of was disinterested in politics. But he said, you know, I think we need more Christians that are involved in their community, involved in civics. I mean, just look at what Christians have done historically. And, and I think he's right. Um, and I think, you know, I'm interested in politics. So for me, that that was a pretty good or history and government. So that was a pretty good route. But another thing that I think is important is in America, um, we have the chance to make a difference and to engage uh, with our community. Um, in the majority of countries around the world, you know, citizens can't say the same thing. Um, so someone from nowhere in our country can, can make a huge difference, huge change. And you've seen it throughout our history. Um, and so for me, you know, I think, I think it's kind of a shame if we pass up on that opportunity to really change our community um, and our country for the better if we have the opportunity to do so. And, um, you know, I know a lot of people think politics is mainly about power, um, but I think that if you're, you know, going at it from a perspective of actually wanting to make a difference, um, then I think it can be a great way to really change society for the better. Cool. Yeah, that's a great perspective and just just an encouraging way to look at it um, that we really do have an opportunity. So I guess let's turn to um, kind of this issue that we have been talking about in open table. And I think just as an encouragement for our listeners, I want to hear from Libby and John Cody and, and because we, the three of us had no clue what we were really walking into and we knew very little. So I don't know if you guys want to share kind of some encouragement for people who don't feel like this is really, um, who may not know much about what's going on in the world. And this can kind of be the starting point. Um, Cause for me, it's, it's very daunting. Um, but do you guys have any encouragements based on this, 
our conversations this summer? Yeah. <laughs> so for me, coming into the open table conversations, I did not know a lot about this conflict at all, um, which is kind of sad given that I was a global studies major my freshman year and have been a political science major since then. Um, so, you know, it was really humbling and it was really encouraging just to, you know, get to sit with people and just start from a very basic level and try to um, understand this. And, you know, it's empowering to, knowledge is empowering. And I feel like, um, like everyone was saying, it's, it's our civic responsibility to be aware um, of what's going on so that we can love and help our neighbors better. Um, so, so good. Really just very basic level. Um, yeah. <laughs> Start where you are. Yeah. Um, yeah, for me, I would say I didn't really know much about, um, about the conflict between Israel and Palestine um, that's kind of going on. Um, that's happened just recently. Um, and so I think for me going into this um, discussion and just kind of learning more about, um, you know, this conflict, um, I kind of, I, I really only knew about uh, Israel just being like the only democracy in the Middle East and um, and just that it was a growing, uh, you know, nation. Um, I didn't really know much about uh, what was going to, you know, um, kind of the facts of, of Palestine and Israel in terms of what uh, what this, even the feud was about. Um, so I think, I don't know, you know, I, I, the hope is, is that even if you don't uh, know much of what's, you know, what the conflict is about, I think uh, even, you know, what do, what we've done kind of this summer is kind of seeing, okay, you can kind of come not knowing much um, and you can still learn, you know, it's like, you don't have yeah. to kind of come with this tons of knowledge about what is going on to, um, to be prepared to learn, but you can kind of just come not really knowing much. And yeah. Well, and it doesn't have to be your thing either. Like, yeah, it doesn't have to be your major. It doesn't have to be your specialty to, to kind of look beyond um, the immediate, I guess. Um, but it really is hard to get outside of what's right in front of us, right? I mean, we go about our days very, very focused on just the tasks at hand. And we pray mostly on behalf of ourselves, at least I do. And um, so I'm curious, I know Maylin and I have been talking about this. Um, she's reading a book kind of about the culture um, of, you know, some religion in the Middle East. And so I want to ask her, like, why do you think it's so hard to be aware of what's going on around the world? And what can we benefit from listening to perspectives that are really different than our own? Um, I think it's really hard to be aware of other things going on in the world because I mean one thing is like we or I have never lived without freedom so like it's really hard for me to know what that's like um like I, I've never gone to church wondering if I'll get arrested afterwards or like voted and wondered if I was gonna you know be arrested or anything like that and so I think it's hard um to put ourselves in other people's shoes in that regard 
And um, the book that I'm reading um, is called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And it's basically the testimony of a man um, who came to know Jesus, but he grew up in the Islamic faith. And I think it's really interesting because the religion just like totally engulfs their lives in every aspect, like how they eat and like they pray five times a day. Um, just so many little things that like we go about our day, but they're not directly necessarily tied to our Christian faith. And so you asked why you think it's hard to like understand uh, or be aware. I think it's just hard. I think for me, it's just hard to imagine what that's like, even though like it's a different religion. I think it's just, that's hard. And then I also think with like, the news there's just like so much information it's really hard to digest like what's true and what's relevant and what's new um yeah yeah totally agree yeah that's that's at least a step in a really cool direction of like hearing that testimony and I'm I'm gonna Malin's coming out with a book review on that book um but I also have Abijah here um who is a friend from my summer in DC and she has a really unique perspective into like just different perspectives around the globe because she grew up in India. So I'm gonna let her add a little about just like, I don't know, why, why is it important that we wrestle with the fact that people don't have religious freedom? And yeah, like, I mean, this is so foreign to us, but, but why, why should we be praying for those people? Yeah, I think the way God created us is to seek truth. And I think everybody is inherently religious in some sense. We all worship something, whether or not that's a God or involves some sort of faith tradition tradition that people are used to. At the end of the day, even if it's power or fame or money, there is something that our hearts are constantly leaning towards and seeking to worship. And I think the blessing of living in the world that we live in here in the United States is we don't have to worry too much about um, what it is we we think is important and valuable and how we want to center our lives. And the reality is that most of the world is not like that. Most people are constantly in fear of what it is they believe. And it's not just Christians. Like while Christians are the most persecuted group on the planet, Muslims, Hindus, Sikhs, um, the Yazidis, the Uyghurs, pretty much everybody you've heard about um, that's in a minority community, most of them are oftentimes persecuted because of their faith too, because the faith is what makes them who they are. What they believe is part of their identity and those communities are being persecuted for their identity. And I think as believers, we should really care about people even of other faith communities because our faith does not we, we don't center ourselves around a compulsion of religion. We're not out there telling people they have to believe in Jesus because we recognize the Christian faith as this interpersonal relationship with Jesus ourselves. So it's not necessarily about forcing other people to believe that or saying that they're wrong if they don't. But the matter of fact is people are dying because they're looking for truth. And if people are being hurt for finding truth, they're not given much of a chance to seek truth. And if truth is always going to win, and if truth is what sets us free, and if Jesus is real, which I think we all believe that, then we don't really even have to worry about whether or not these people are 
are immediately following Jesus. Like we get to worry about whether or not they're alive to have the chance to look for him. And for Christians, we get to pray with the persecuted church and pray yes for their freedom and for their salvation, but also for just their ability to be blessings and witnesses to the people around them in the communities that they're into. And so I think when you are wrestling with all these other places around the world where you have brothers and sisters in Christ that you haven't ever met face to face and probably won't until we hit eternity. Um, I think it's really valuable to know that there, there are people across the globe that are supporting you and lifting you up in prayer because that's what keeps people going and that's what encourages people. Yeah. Well, and, that, and having this awareness, which is kind of the point we're coming back to, helps us keep our eyes on eternity too, right? I mean, to know what what the goal is and to to seek to make the gospel available or just just a, 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 a free and good life available to people available to people um, around the world so that they can so they can hear the word and know him. That's such a cool perspective. Um, so yeah, we, we start by kind of just opening up our minds to consider people outside of ourselves and, and outside of the immediate. Um, but I think we run into challenges of finding out like how to do that and how to even know what's true about what's going on around the world. And so I want to turn it over to Renee because she really headed up this um, open table discussion group and she was sifting through media, sifting through articles and podcasts, trying to find like solid information. And it was just a struggle, I think. So, so Renee, what was, what do you learn about the nature of the, the Middle Eastern conflict and, and politics um, just by observing these trends in the media? Um, okay, before I start, I want to say that um, I took a couple years ago, I took a history of Middle East class, and we only covered about 100 years in one semester um, time period. And I just remember learning so much information that semester and thinking and my professor telling us that, you know, there are people who this is their PhD, this is what they study for life, and like study a specific conflict in the Middle East, and they are writing books and books on it and it's so complicated and complex and so when you shrink that down to the size of just one summer it's definitely very sometimes a little overwhelming because we could have we could we could have talked about whatever we wanted to talk about you know the history or current conflict or u.s and european relations in the conflict but um something that i've just seen is like general trends um, this summer, just in like US media and like Western media, um, it's just interesting how polarizing it is and how people seem to be so qu quick to um, just kind of like jump on a, on a side and not really, um, not even really understand like why they have that opinion, but like they've heard maybe a story or two. And so like they are willing to defend that story. Um, and I think it's really important too how it's interesting how like it's almost like this new, just newer narrative, how like the US has supported um, Israel for so long. And now it seems to be like a newer narrative um, in just maybe like the younger generation um, 
about how as like Palestine, uh, Palestinians being the victim and like Israel being the oppressor and how that is just so different from um, U.S. policy in the past and how U.S. policy has always backed Israel, um, you know, whether that's um, for good or for worse, I think is like a different conversation, but it's interesting how um, just seeing how these things in the media, if they don't fit the narrative, then they aren't like seen as like a good source um, or they aren't seen as like true information. And so it's definitely hard to discern like, okay, well, this media is supporting this narrative and it just really gets conflicting and messy, long story short. Um, but I do think another thing is interesting how um, just this, this conflict, I feel like was the first Middle Eastern conflict to kind of bring in like celebrities and social media into it. Um, and how like, even though um, maybe like social media's opinion is changing about Israel and Palestine, how like US foreign policy as of now seems to be staying um, pretty similar and staying the same. Yeah, okay. That's super insightful. Yeah, I think we're seeing it thrown around on social media and people are like, what? Like, I didn't, what is Hamas? What, like, what's going on? I know this was all happening kind of towards the beginning of the summer, but it's ongoing. Um, so kind of basics, first of all, um, I would say America has like a lot of reasons for being allied with Israel, but the main one that we can that we can kind of say in general is that like John Cody said earlier, Israel is the only like liberal democracy in the Middle East. Um, and it's kind of the state um, in that region that shares our values the most, um, that has a democratic structure, like I said. So that's, I know as Christians, we, we kind of think back to like a lot of theology reasons too of like, oh, God established, like, God's chosen people. I think we can have those, like, kind of personal opinions, but kind of at a general level that doesn't just apply to, like, Christian theology or, or beliefs within the church. Um, that's, this is why we're allied with them. But something we learned was we actually, we actually spend, like, a lot on on military spending and support of Israel so it's like we are really really strong allies we spend billions on um supporting their their military every year so I think that's why um this May whenever Israel and and um Hamas and the Gaza Strip were in direct conflict it was a big deal and it was like okay this the U.S. U.S. dollars are behind um these missiles so that's a little bit of context but um well well a couple of you guys go into Palestine's situation and obviously like Renee said there's so much history here like so much but right now um we I've kind of heard allegations in the media about really extreme claims like ethnic cleansing happening um against Palestinians and oppression and um I think this is where, where even, even like left and right wings of American politics are getting involved in staking claims on what's going on there. So, um, will, will Libby, will you start by just kind of explaining what we've talked about, um, trying to understand just the conflict this summer? 
and um, and anyone can chime in. Yeah, so a big word going on right now, like AC said, is ethnic cleansing. Um, but I feel like to really understand that, we do have to go into a little bit of a history. And I really encourage you all to do your own research because like Renee said, this people have PhDs in this, it's so complex. And I hate to have to simplify it, but just a brief overview. Um, so from the Palestinian perspective, after World War I, um, Britain took control of Palestine. And then after World War II, in 1947, the UN decided to partition Palestine into two countries, um, the Jewish state of Israel and the Arab state of Palestine. And Israel agreed to these new borders, but many Arab residents thought that the partition unfa unfairly favored the Jews. Um, so violence broke out. And then in 1948, when Israel was recognized as a state, the surrounding Arab countries attacked because again, they thought they were kind of cheated out of um, their rightful land. And um, so Israel won that war and ended up occupying much of the land originally designated to be the Arabs. So they were left with even less. Um, and as a result, 720,000 Arabs fled or were expelled from their homes. Um, so we see that especially when Western countries got involved, Palestinians were deprived of more and more of the land that they too have strong religious and cultural ties to. Um, and that is a form of ethnic cleansing. And so, and, and just to put it even more in perspective from an Arab point of view, in recent years on Jerusalem Day, which um, is a Jewish holiday commemorating that victory in 1948, far-right Israelis have marched around the Arab parts of the city shouting death to Arabs. Um, so it is important to recognize that, you know, there is a lot of aggression coming from Israel. And then, so the recent conflict um, and why we're hearing so much about ethnic cleansing now kind of started with this neighborhood called Sheikh Jarrah, um, which is a Palestinian neighborhood next to the core of Jerusalem. And in recent years, nationalist Jewish groups have established small colonies in neighborhoods like this one. Um, with the goal of making these neighborhoods majority Jewish. So here we can definitely see the ethnic intentions of these Jewish settlers. Um, that's not a secret that that's kind of their goal with these neighborhoods. Um, and so sometimes the Jews will buy homes from these, these Palestinian residents or, um, or other times they get the courts to evict these Palestinians based on an old Israeli law that gives Jewish Israelis the right to acclaim East Jerusalem properties owned by the Jews before. The 1948 war. Um, and then so Palestinians who lost their land during that war don't have the same rights. So they really have no legal recourse um, and often nowhere to go after they've been displaced from their homes um, that they've lived in for more than 70 years. So, you know, families being recently families and back in May, families were being slated by the courts to be displaced. And so that led to a lot of the conflict um, and the allegations of, of ethnic cleansing. Wow, that's hard to hear. That's really, really hard to grapple with. And especially, you know, because we are such strong allies with Israel. So I, I know that's, um, yeah, definitely something that isn't being broadcasted, but you know, that maybe, especially as Christians, like we should pray for them. We should, we should care and we should, um, my, my friend Abuja here, who I have with me, she, she, we were talking about this and she was saying, you know, part of living in the kingdom is that there's a lot of gray and that we can't always, we kind of just have to like 
trust the Lord with the gray areas sometimes because we can't always take a side, right? Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking through right now and, and just trying to at least hear these stories um, and, and acknowledge like there's brokenness in every single nation in person. So Renee, tell us a little about, Renee, tell us about Hamas and um, what's going on with just a little bit more of the technical stuff on the political side. Don't, don't get too much in the weeds for our friends who don't care that much. <laughs> I'm just kidding. The team knows I can get down to the point. <laughs> Give us a, a mile high overview of a one state versus a two state solution to okay. this so when you're reading, um, when you're reading through a lot of political articles or opinions about um, Israel Palestine, a lot of people will throw out the term one state, two state solution. And you're probably wondering, okay, what does that mean? Like, what, what does that mean? And so um, basically a one state solution is just the idea that Israel and Palestine will become one country under one government and that um, everyone will like quote unquote, you know, in the book be equal by law. But um, personally, I don't see this solution like this, this would be an ideal solution for everyone to live, you know, in harmony and peace um, and have like um, equal access and equal rights to the government. But um, currently Hamas is the military government that's in charge of Palestine. They were actually elected um, in the election of 2006 um, for Palestine. And, and then Israel, as you know, is run by a liberal democracy um, with a lot of funding from the United States. And so Hamas won't recognize, um, Hamas won't recognize Israel's right to have any territory. They don't think Israel should be allowed any territory. And um, Israel doesn't, it's very hard to, you know, to get Israel to talk with Hamas and the United States doesn't want to talk with Hamas because um, they're classified as a terrorist group and the USA doesn't like to um, compromise with terrorist groups in the past. And so this is why this one state solution is very tricky and it raises the question of Jerusalem. You know, it's the most like sacred city in this place. Um, should it be an international city or should it be split in two? And right now Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, um, but Hamas wants um, to have control of um, Jerusalem. And then on the other side, there's this two state solution that, um, this idea that they could work together, there'd be a Palestinian state and then an Israel state that would be separate. But there's a lot of um, debate about where those territory lines will be based off of old UN resolutions. You know, there's so many promises that the UN has made that they haven't kept. And so there's a lot of question about, okay, like if, if we, even if we had a two state solution, like, does the US, are we, are we supposed to recognize that Hamas is a power when they're a terrorist group? And like, if so, where do we even draw the lines? Because, you know, obviously the lines that are there are not working out. So how do we even figure out how to draw the lines? Because a lot of the lines came from the UN coming in after World War One, And so they aren't really um, valid with like ethnic and different culture lines. Well, thank you for that. You were 
you were very helpful and <laughs> you explained that really well. Um, Abhijah, I was wondering if you could give us, I know you've studied Islam a lot. I was wondering if you could give us a little insight about like the religious makeup of these two groups. Yeah, I think my understanding is, as we know, like the Israeli state is mostly made up of Jewish people, but it's very easy to often um, just assume that Arab means Muslim, but that's not necessarily the case. Like Christianity has a huge history in the East. And I think at this point in time, especially as Americans, it's so normal for us to think of Christianity as a Western religion. But the matter of fact is there are lots of Christians in the Middle East, even if currently they might be undergoing persecution. And so when we think of Palestine, there are Muslims, uh, Arab Muslims, but there are also Arab Christians there. And so, and I think like even within that, there are smaller minority groups um, worth uh, thinking of too. But um, yeah, I think when it comes to something like this, just like remembering that it isn't it isn't as black and white as, oh, it's just Jewish people versus Muslims, or it's just the East versus the West. Um, Christianity, thankfully, has a really beautiful history in the Middle East, and a lot of what we know to be as Christian traditions and Islamic traditions are actually very similar to each other, and there are still places in the Middle East where you will find Christians and Muslims um, praying at the same, like, shrines, um, going to the same sites, and praying together or next to each other and um, bowing down next to each other. And I think remembering that is also really helpful within the context of this conversation when we're trying to think of how do we honor um, the nuances of the situation and the people that are suffering on either side. So good. Um, my wheels are turning. Like there's a lot to, a lot to think about here, but just to kind of wrap up, um, thank you guys all so much for providing your insight and being willing to just share your curiosity and things you've learned. But back to kind of the practical level where we are now, what do we do um, if we disagree with someone, you know, maybe who's really passionate one side or the other? How do we, like Abby just said, honor the nuances, honor both people of, of any nation and tribe who are suffering and um, don't know God. And yeah, what are some, what are some ways to handle disagreements and just the distance that is between us? Because let's see, uh, let's go through it. Let's see what you got. I think one thing that's important as like, you know, as United States citizens living in the US and those of us who have never lived in the Middle East, um, just understanding that we have a very, you know, Western perspective and we're getting things from the Western media um, and that sometimes there can be a bias on that or just have it lean a certain way. Um, and it, this isn't necessarily a firsthand source. This is a secondhand source coming to us. Um, it's not like an event happening in America and we're receiving CNN news from it. It's, it's like an event happening in another world and we're receiving still our news sources from it when there's other, you know, Middle East news sources. Um, and I think another thing that's important is just to have an open mind and understand and just give people the respect that they, um, they believe the things they believe um, because of their experiences or because of what they've been taught. Um, and even if it's different from you, that you should still respect that opinion. 
Um, and I think through that respect, you can come to a lot of cool conversations, even with people who may disagree with you or um, see things differently. Yeah, Jacob, whether it's this issue or, or something else domestically, how would you say we go about disagreeing and loving our neighbors in that? Yeah, I think, I think Renee brought up a great point in terms of respect. Um, I, think, I think something that's lost today is just putting yourself in someone else's shoes just seeing the issue or the problem from how they may view it. Just even doing that can change your entire perspective. And that's not to say that it's going to, you know, make you go to the other side on the issue, but it's going to give you some uh, empathy, sympathy, understanding for understanding from where the other person's coming from. Um, and I think from that point on, you know, you can have a better relationship. Um, and I think that's important just in terms of, you know, whether that's in politics or uh, business, any, any kind of relationship, you know, when two people want things, one person can't get everything and the other person nothing and both sides be happy, you know, and I think that, you know, putting yourself in someone else's shoes and kind of seeing where they are coming from will give you a better chance to you know, reach that agreement um, to the point where, you know, both, both people, both sides are happy. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Anyone else? Um, I was going to say that I think, you know, Jesus uh, said that, like, that people will know that we're his disciples by the way that we love. And so I think, like, it's it's really important um, as believers that we recognize that we're representing Christ. Um, people are, like, watching us. And so it's like really important that we don't make it our like make it our mission um to to be right all the time that sometimes um we recognize that you know we don't have to have the last word we don't have to have um you know explain or for people to fully understand you know why uh why we think we're right sometimes it's important for us to, to kind of just listen and to love that person and i think um, that's the part where it's hard for us um, is, is to kind of just sit um, in disagreement. But I think that's a lot of times, um, you know, what we're called to is kind of just love that person um, and not look at them according to their belief, but look at them um, as Christ would, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I think even within the church, like we're part of a body, right? So um, an AI scholar, Dr. Peter Mylander had had assigned reading for him, but I will never forget him saying this. Um, he was like, our like viewpoints even within the church reflect different parts of Christ's body. Like we can't even think that in ourselves, we are like the total picture of the church. Um, and that's why it's so beautiful. What else? So I just wanted to emphasize um, and Claire's point and John Cody's um, and Abja's that, you know, as Christians, like we are a part of the body and we have our brothers and sisters in Christ and we wanna protect and love our family. But I just think it's important to remember that Jesus loved those who 
you know, weren't follow, he, you know, he, he loved those who weren't followers of Christ. Um, he loved the persecuted and the outcasts. And I think that, um, you know, just going back to the whole eternal perspective thing, we want to give, um, we want to protect those who don't know Jesus yet. We want to give them the chance to have the same intimacy um, and relationship with God that we do. And I think that's so, so important, um, especially when dealing with issues where, you know, historically Christians have sort of supported one side. Um, I think that's, it can just be dangerous in terms of, you know, blindly supporting um, and not thinking about, you know, who is persecuted and, you know, just the eternal perspective of, of it all. So thanks, Abjad, for bringing that up. Yeah, thank you guys all so much. I I think we all have a lot to kind of ponder and um, just go on from a place of encouragement that that at least being aware and and we can we can talk about kind of sources of news and how to do that um, on our Instagram and everything. But but it's worth the time and energy in in conclusion to to know, you know, what Christians around the world are enduring, first of all, because this is not a Western religion. Um, and secondly, to know what's, you know, what our brothers and sisters in Cuba are going through um, and to be aware of the, you know, the injustices there and to pray for them and to pray for people on both sides of Israel's borders and, pray that they would come to know God and pray that there, there would be a way to end violence, like you said, so that we can hopefully have a chance to share with them. Like this is a radical perspective, but I love this. And it's, it's a, it's a way to set aside um, maybe what we've, what we thought we were supposed to think to really consider um, just both sides of the story. So I really appreciate y'all's example in that. And I had a lot of fun. So thank you guys so much. And everyone say bye. And we'll do this again soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye. See ya. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Dual Citizen Podcast. And a special thanks to all of my guests, including Renee Jones, who has been leading our open table discussions this summer. Be sure to check out anchoredpassion.com slash dual dash citizen for more resources. And we will see you next time to finish out our season on understanding civic responsibility. See you soon.